Worship is what energizes us to keep us going forward. Worship is what points us back to sound doctrine so we don't get swept out. Worship is what helps us grow in our faith so we don't get wobbly. Peter says, remain steadfast as you worship and remain steadfast all the way to the end. Are you looking for meaning or a word from God that's relevant to your life? Are you searching for a better understanding of who God is? Well, you're in the right place. You found the Gary Talks About God podcast. This is a weekly podcast that comes to you from the pulpit of Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. The podcast is hosted by Red Bank Senior Pastor Gary Sanders. Now let's get ready to take that walk through God's Word with our pastor, teacher, and friend. Hey, he's that guy we call Gary. If you have your Bibles, 2 Peter chapter 3. We are coming to the end of our study of 2 Peter. Uh, we will finish up on June 6, but this morning uh, we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 3, in the last two verses of the epistle, verse 17 and verse 18. And as you turn there and think about that, a theme that has developed, and I, th- I think you've seen me and, and heard me preach long enough, and you understand that themes develop through the Bible, and that sometimes you see it, it's hard not to see it. And this theme of remaining steadfast has been revealed to us in Revelation and in Second Peter over and over and over and over. The idea of making it to the end. Matthew 24. Remember Matthew 24. I keep saying this in Revelation because we keep going back to Matthew 24. That's where Jesus is talking about the end times and what is the, the signs of the end of the times. And in Matthew 24, verse 13, Jesus says, The one who endures to the end will be saved. Now, I would imagine that most of us, when we were saved and we became a believer, our immediate thought was, we're going to endure to the end. We want to make it to the end. But I'm not sure that we actually attached our salvation to our endurance, right? Because it's not that we endure that we're saved. We're saved when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. But it's the endurance and making it to the end that validates that profession of faith that we had when we made it 10, 20, 15, three days ago. It validates that. And so we are encouraged over and over and over and over to endure, to make it to the end. Now, in a lot of ways, that idea of endurance and making it to the end, I I think is becoming a diminishing characteristic in the world today. Think about things that used to inspire longevity. Really, We we can see this in, in jobs, right? It used to be, and this goes both ways, both employer and employee, it used to go where you would go to work for a company and the company would treat you well and you would work well and you would, you would work your entire life for that company. They, they valued your work, you valued what they uh, provided for you. And so you'd work there your entire life. You know, they give you little pins to mark anniversaries, right? My grandfather used to get Thomasville Furniture Industry pins to, to mark his anniversaries. And it was just a, it was a little T. And I, they had to be something different between all the ones he got, but I could never tell. 
But it's like, hey, you, you've endured for five years. Here's a reward. You've endured for 10. You've endured for 43 years. Here, here's, you endured. People endured. A lot of times you would endure in your house, right? You would move into a house and you would endure in that one house for, for your entire life. And now we have starter homes, <laughs> you, you know? I'm just going to be here until I get a bigger house. You know, everything now seems to be so transitory that nothing endures anymore. Your job might endure six months, six years, 60 years. Your house, you might stay there six months, six years, 60 years. But the mindset today is not really about endurance because the mindset is about the here and the now. What can I have now, right? There's a reason why Twitter was so popular because you only had 144 characters because most people have 144 character attention span and endurance span. TikTok is so famous because people have about the endurance to do 20-second videos and we have the endurance to watch 20-second videos. The whole world says it's here, it's now. Sprint, it's all right. God's Word says no. It's not Yes, we live in the here and now. But it's about the endurance. It's about enduring all the way to the end. Because if you sprint out of the blocks of Christianity and you think it's a mindset of it's a sprint, I guarantee you, you're not going to make it. We all have examples of that person who sprinted out of the blocks and never let up until they just failed. And that was it. It was over. But we also have examples of those who ran with endurance. The flowers today of, of, of Luther Terry, I mean, he ran with endurance all the way to the end. So when we get to the end of Peter, Peter is reminding us that we have to run all the way to the end, to remain steadfast. This is what he says in verse 17 and 18. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So as Peter writes, and as we see him closing today, he's actually going to circle around to a couple different themes. And he starts off by reminding us of who we are, right? Beloved. That's how we started, to the, to, to the beloved exiles. We're, we're beloved. God loves us. We are beloved by God. And that word beloved finds its root word in the Greek word agape. And we've talked about this many times before. That, that self-sacrificing love that reminds us that we are God's beloved, that, that it is a love born out of choice, not obligation. Right? We didn't do something that required God to love us. He, he loved us. And His love was supremely manifested on the cross of Jesus Christ when He died for our sins. So now He looks at us and says, hey, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, He, he lavishes that agape love on us. We are His beloved, not just now, but for all eternity. I think Peter says that to remind us to remain steadfast because you're God's beloved from the day that you come to know Christ as Lord and Savior to the very end and all the way through to eternity. You are God's beloved. And Peter is saying, because of that, remain steadfast. And he says, here, let me tell you how to do it. 
And he says, believers remain steadfast by remaining grounded in doctrine. Verse 17 says, take care that you are not carried away. Now, when I read that, and, and, and because I am doing a really good job to focus on the here and the now and not the 1201 when I go on vacation to the beach. But I will admit, it did impact my illustration because when I read not to be carried away and knowing I'm going to the beach, my first thought was the tides that we have off the coast of North Carolina. Right? All of us have heard the dangers of rip tides, right? They'll start the public service announcements. Be, be careful. Why? Because you're out on the beach, and all of a sudden that rip current hits you, and what does it do? It pulls you away from the safety of the shore. It, it just it pulls you out. That's why it goes perpendicular to the shore, and it just, it just pulls you out. It doesn't necessarily pull you under, but boy, will it pull, pull you a long way from shore. So if you're not a strong swimmer, you're in a lot of danger. Being carried away is dangerous. It is infinitely more so that if you are carried away by the error of lawless people. And that's what Peter is writing about. He says, do not be carried away with the error of lawless people. How are they carrying them away? They're carrying them away, and they're lawless because they're carrying them away from sound doctrine. Now, doctrine is one of those words that the church really needs to reclaim the importance of. Most people, when they hear doctrine, I mean, they, they just tune out, right? Doctrine is a thing of professors, or doctrine is a thing of theologians or, or pastors. But, but we think of doctrine, and I think it's maybe partly because of, of preaching recently. But a lot of believers hear doctrine, and it's just saying, oh, that's, just, that's dry as dirt. I don't want to have anything to do with doctrine. But doctrine is critically important. I mean, doctrine simply stated is the themes of God's revelation to us as found in His Word. What God reveals to us is His doctrine. Now, a couple weeks ago, or maybe last week, y'all surprised me. Did you notice uh, last week when I had you quote John 3.16, you did a marvelous job, and then I told you to quote John 3.17. I was expecting silence, and y'all started quoting it. I, I was really proud of you, by the way, but, but you threw me off. But I want to test you again this week, all right? Romans 10, 19, because if you confess with your mouth that next three words, Jesus is Lord, do you realize that that is a doctrinal statement? That, that is an actual doctrinal statement. You are stating that Jesus, not Buddha, not Gandhi, not Vishnu, not secularism, not some other vain philosophy, you are stating Doctrinally, there is one Lord, and it is Jesus. That, that, that is a doctrinal statement. When you say Jesus is coming back for his people, that is a doctrinal statement. When you say the only way to heaven is through Jesus, that is a doctrinal statement. You speak a lot of doctrine that you maybe have never thought, hey, that's doctrine. But that's what it is. And Peter says it is the doctrine, it is Scripture that you have to be grounded in. Because if you are not grounded in the doctrine of Scriptures, then you're going to be carried away, swept out to the ocean of false teaching and error. That's what the false teachers are. 
What's the, the, the lawless doctrine they're teaching? Jesus is not coming back. A denial of doctrine. Therefore, you won't be judged. Another denial of doctrine. Therefore, eat, drink, be merry, do whatever you want to. Another denial of doctrine. And they're being swept away for all eternity. Peter says, you have to be grounded in doctrine. Now, last week, I was listening, I listened to a daily podcast. And I was listening to this podcast, and it, I went back after I heard the podcast and inserted it, because I think it, it really fits what Peter is saying. And the podcast, the, the, the overarching view was that Americans have been trying to find this middle ground between belief and unbelief. They're trying to find, you've heard it called the mushy middle, right? Trying to find the middle. And in this particular quote, he uses the word theism, but you can replace it with doctrine because it's the same thing. Theism is the study of God. Theism is things related to God. Doctrine is the things related to God. So you can put this together. They're the same thing. And the point he is making is that younger people are polarizing. They're either going to become all secular or they're becoming increasingly orthodox. Because what they're discovering is you either have sound doctrine or you have nothing. There is nothing in the middle. And his quote was this, a little bit of theology won't do. A little bit of theology won't get you through the night in a secular age. A little bit of theology isn't plausible. If you believe in God, then you're either going to believe in a rather comprehensive truth claim or not. Replace that with doctrine, because that's what he's talking about. He's talking about doctrine. You either agree with doctrine and abide by doctrine and ground yourself in doctrine so that you can stand in the secular age, or there's nothing else. There's no middle doctrine. It is either God's word or it's not. What he says is true or it's not. He's coming back or he's not. He's going to judge us or he's not. He is going to put place those who believe in him in heaven for all eternity or he's not. Those who don't are going to hell. or There's no middle ground. And Peter says, and we're reminded here, if, if you're trying to find the middle ground, you're going to be carried away. Right? Peter goes on and he brings up Paul just a little bit earlier. Right? He said, Paul wrote to you in one of the great understatements of all of Scripture. He writes some things that are hard to understand. You know, and this is after Peter discussing eternity, right? And he says, hey, Paul writes some things that are hard to understand. He does. And Peter says, when they go to Paul, instead of trying to understand the doctrine, because there are some things in doctrine that you, got, you can't just read it at the surface and go, yeah, I got it. You've got to study. And Peter says, you know, what they're doing is they're looking at what Paul is teaching, and instead of trying to understand, they're just they're twisting it because they're ignorant and they're unstable. And they're twisting it to fit themselves to their own destruction. We need to, as believers, recapture the majesty of doctrine because it is doctrine that we are grounded to that will save us. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that is a doctrinal statement that saved you. And it's what keeps us from losing our stability and being swept out to sea 
and swept away from God for all eternity. Peter continues and says, Believers remain steadfast by growing in our faith. And I'm kind of lumping those together. It says, verse 18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, it's not the first time, right? Again, Peter's summing all his, his points up. He's, he's told us before to grow in knowledge. He said, in order to stay, stand guard against spiritual enemies, we, we grow in our faith. Because the best antidote against apostasy and false teaching is a growing faith. It's an knowledgeable faith. He tells us to grow in grace. And he's brought grace up before, right? I mean, Peter starts with grace. Grace in one one says, we have attained faith by the righteousness of Jesus, talking about that grace. Verse 3 through 4, his grace is a gift to us to provide everything that we need to live a godly life. And so here, Peter just kind of grace at the beginning, grace at the end, kind of the bookends that holds everything together. And he says, we need to grow in God's grace. We don't want to have a stagnant grace. Right? Y'all been around something that's stagnant, a pond that's stagnant? Is it pleasant? It's kind of smelly. It's kind of yucky. And it's kind of not something you want to go swimming in, right? You see a stagnant pond, you're not going to jump in there. But man, you get out there and you go to a river. It's kind of babbling down over the little rocks. Clear water. That's something you want to take your shoes off and go play in, splash around in. Because it's moving, it's alive. As we grow in our grace, it's, it's growing and it's a beautiful thing. People want to see it. Now, when I read this, though, the first question I had was, how do you grow in grace? Because grace is what God gives us. So how in the world do we grow in something that is a gift? I'll let you think about it, then I'm going to tell you the answers. Because it's something that we don't really think about. God gives us grace, and he says, grow in the grace that we are given. So here, Peter has already told us, right? He, he told us when, in verse 5, where he talks about the virtues. Talking about uh, the, the virtues that we, that we should live by, those seven virtues that we looked at. Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 5 of Second Peter. Virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly affection and love. You want to grow in grace? Grow in those virtues that Peter has already mentioned. You grow in grace as your love for Jesus increases. That's the way to grow in grace. You grow in grace as our life and conduct grows in holiness. You grow in grace when we elevate Jesus above yourself. We grow in grace as we grow in love towards one another. Loving your brothers more now than you did yesterday is, is a mark of growing in grace. We grow in grace as we grow in godliness, which is, remember how Peter defined godliness, right? Peter said godliness is submitting everything in your life, not just one hour on Sunday morning, but submitting everything in your life under the authority of Jesus Christ. That's how, that, that's how Peter defines godliness. Everything, everything is submitted to God's authority. And he says, grow in this grace. He also says, grow in the knowledge. Not just any knowledge, but in knowledge of Jesus Christ. That knowledge that Peter showed us first leads to salvation, and then a knowledge of him so that we can live the Christian life. 
If we want to remain steadfast and not be carried away by error, we need to know more about Jesus. Because if we attempt to live by any other knowledge, then it will lead us not to salvation, but to destruction. And the way you know more about Jesus is staying between the covers of your Bible. That, that's why we have it. Right? Hebrews says, In his last days he has spoken to us, how? By his Son. Jesus is revealed to us through his word. He is the word made flesh. And it says that we are to grow in the knowledge of Jesus. And as you grow in the knowledge of Jesus, you know what happens? Remember when John is doing the great I am statements? And he says, Jesus is the good shepherd. It's a two-way street there. Remember what it is? It says, the sheep know his voice and, we, and, and he knows his sheep. So as we grow in knowledge of Jesus, we grow in our ability to hear him speak to us through his words. Have you ever thought about how many people speak into your life on a daily basis? I mean, it, 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 it's, it's, it's noisy. And a lot of times, they're very conflicting messages. You know, you hear work, and you hear the world, and you hear politics, and you hear family, and you hear friends, and the people at the store, and you just, you, you hear all these voices. I mean, it's, it's just at the risk of oversaying, like a verbal assault on your ears. It's close. Yeah, it's, it's close. It really is. And, and believe me, as somebody that sometimes I just, you know, I'll be in my house some days, and I'll just, you know, it's like, it's enough. Right, but we, we've got to grow in knowledge of Jesus so that we can clearly hear his voice above all those other voices because they're going to continue to speak. But we've got to grow in knowledge of Jesus so that when his voice speaks above all of them, we can, we can drown out the noise of the world and we can hear him, hear Jesus as he speaks to us through his word. And here is something very true. All right, You need to understand this. Jesus will never lead you through his word to do something that contradicts his word. I've heard people say, well, I just feel like Jesus is leading me to do this. I'm like, no, he's not. How do you know? Because God's word has said not to do that. So I'm pretty sure that God is not leading you to do something he's already told you not to do. Right? So check what you're hearing with what God has already said. Because if what you are hearing is not what God has already said, then who you're hearing is not God. It is not Jesus speaking to you. Because he speaks through his word, and he's not going to lead you contrary to his word. But the only way you know his word is you grow in knowledge of him. And again, as you grow in knowledge of him, it keeps you from being swept away. But then finally, he says, believers remain steadfast by worshiping Jesus. In verse 18, Peter ends with a doxology. And he writes, he writes, To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Doxology just means a short praise to God. Now, this is one of the few doxologies in the New Testament ascribed specifically to Jesus. Most are ascribed to God. Now, we know that God is, is revealed himself in the flesh in the person of Jesus, that Jesus is the second person of the Godhead. We understand that. But here, Peter specifically ascribes it to Jesus, saying, to Jesus, to Him, be glory and honor. Why? 
Because Peter has been writing for us so that we can understand Jesus' role and importance in our salvation. Understand Jesus' role in coming back to get us. And so Peter writes, To him be the glory both now. May Jesus be glorified now. Our lives as believers, we seek to glorify Jesus now. This morning, as we come together to worship, we come together to worship to glorify God. We come together to glorify Christ, to sing praises to Him, to read His Word, to glorify Him in everything that we do. And it's one of the most amazing things as believers that we can do is worship Jesus. It's what we're called to do. To give Him glory. And Peter says, do that now. Do it today. And the reason we need to learn how to do it today and do it well today and enjoy it today is because we're going to do it for all eternity. I've told you before, I hope your mansion is near mine. So you can hear what I sound like when I sing with a perfect voice. All right? I know some of y'all are hoping I'm on the back side of heaven, but anyway. Because that's what we're going to be doing. And Peter says it in a very unusual way. Look at how he words it. To the day of eternity. Now that's kind of unusual, isn't it? Because you would think that there would be more than one day in eternity, right? Well, what is Peter doing? Well, he's, he's one, he's, he's returning our attention to Psalm 90, where the main theme was the eternality of God, right? We looked at that last week, and that's the psalm that Peter quoted when he said, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day. And he's, he's teaching us that, that truth, right? That if a thousand or two thousand years, you know, nothing can separate us from, from, from the eyes of God. Nothing can separate us from Him, because, it, you know, it's just, it's that time. It's just it's like a day to him. He's saying, but there's a day that is coming, right? Where we're going to worship him for all eternity. So how, how is that possible? That a day lasts for all eternity? Well, it would be that way if there was an absence of darkness, right? I, I would think so. Would you think so as well? That, that all right, if there's no darkness, then you don't have a day. What, what makes us have day? The fact that we have night. You, you, you take away night, then you don't necessarily have day. So let's go then to Revelation 21, 23 through 25. And the city has no need. Let's go to verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is like is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. It really will be a day of eternity. And during that day of eternity, we will worship Him for all eternity. We will worship and worship and worship and worship. And Peter says, if you worship now, if you worship God now, then that is a way to help you remain steadfast all the way to the end and prepare you. Because as you gather together to worship, it continually grounds us back in Scripture. Do you see how the worship of Jesus places us firmly in Scripture and in His Word and what He has said? 
as, as we worship together, then it shows us how to grow in our faith. Worship is kind of the, the part that catches it and, and brings it all together. Worship is more than just coming to church on Sunday and seeing who's there and singing a few songs. Worship is what energizes us to keep us going forward. Worship is what points us back to sound doctrine so we don't get swept out. Worship is what helps us grow in our faith so we don't get wobbly. Peter says, remain steadfast as you worship and remain steadfast all the way to the end. It is a call for believers to run this Christian race with endurance. In 1983, there was an ultramarathon that took place in Australia. Anybody know what an ultramarathon is? I mean, I, I, y'all, have y'all seen these people that ride around with those little ovals on the back of their car that says 26.1? Like, eh, look at me. <laughs> I ran a marathon. I'm like, that's, that's great. Happy, happy for you, right? And then the wannabes with the 13 point something, right? You're not there yet. They're not as pretentious just yet, but they're working their way up. An ultramarathon is long. And this particular one in Australia was from Sydney to Melbourne. Now, I don't know how you are on your Australian geography. I'm not very good. I had to look it up. That's 544 miles. Let me say that again. 544 miles. And so these ultramarathoners, which there's more than one apparently, yep, arrived in Sydney from all over the world to compete, right? They're all there. And on the day of the race, another competitor arrived. And he looked different from all the others. First of all, he was 61 years old. Secondly, he didn't have on the running shorts, right? We've seen the, we've seen the, the, the marathoners today, the little running shorts and little shirts, right? Had on his overalls. Show up in his overalls. Third, he didn't have Nike, right? Y'all remember a couple years ago the big thing with Nike? They were, they were inventing new running shoes for marathoners, and people were complaining because supposedly it was supposed to give you a little bit more lift. I would need enough lift to cover 26 miles in one bound, right? And so you can imagine them there with their ultra-high-tech Nike shoes, right? Dude shows up wearing galoshes. Right? Everybody else there, they show up. And, and, and I, I just got to point this out because it was kind of funny. Everybody else, you can imagine what those ultra marathoners look like, right? So the guy shows up in his overalls, his galoshes, he's 61. He has no teeth. Everybody thinks that it is a joke. Everybody thinks he's a joke because he is a farmer. He is a potato farmer and a shepherd. I did not know that they grew potatoes in Australia. So this potato farmer, shepherd, in galoshes, no teeth, overalls, 61 years old, shows up and people are like, ah, that's funny. He's like, no, I'm here to run. And after a while, they convinced, he convinced them that he was really there to run that 544 ultra marathon. And they registered a man by the name of Cliff Young, gave him the tag number 64. And the race started. And everything that you think happened that day from the finish at the starting line happened. Everybody went that way, and here was Cliff. You know, just, it happened just like you would think that it would. 
Now, apparently there's strategy in ultramarathon. The strategy is basically this. You run for 18 hours and sleep for six. Again, you're never going to see me do this. And that's what happened. All these ultramarathoners took off, ran for 18 hours, started to sleep for six, but at the end of the 18 hours, you know what Cliff did? Cliff just kept running. He said that's the only thing he knew to do. He just, he kept running. And then the next day they got up and they ran for 18 hours and slept for six. You know what Cliff did? He just, he kept running. He kept running. He ran nonstop in this little half run, half shuffle because he's wearing overalls and a galoshes. Nonstop for five days, 15 hours and four minutes. Crossing the finish line nine hours and 56 minutes ahead of the second place finisher. When all was said and done, he shattered the original record by two days. Afterwards, he was asked, how did you do it? I mean, there was nothing about him that said that he wasn't going to die after 10 steps in this marathon. How did you do it? And he said, I reflected back on my childhood when I had to round up sheep on foot because we didn't have horses to round them up and a storm was coming. And he said, when that happened, the only thing I knew to do was to keep running. Was to keep running. We get to the end of Peter, and Peter's call to us is to keep running. To keep running. To remain steadfast all the way to the end so that when we cross the finish line, we're not crossing it because we want the reward for being in first while somebody comes in second. We cross it because we want to hear the words, well done my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. You've been listening to the Gary Talks About God podcast. Are you looking for a church? Well, Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church is a community of believers who exist to glorify God and see transform lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can find us on the web at www.redbankmbc.com. Also, come visit us on Sunday at 8104 Red Bank Road in Germantown, North Carolina. Did you like this podcast? We put one out each and every week, so don't forget to subscribe. We hope this has been a blessing to you, and we thank you for listening.